0: Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Hey, Ben, I'm so excited that you are here to talk to me today about a really important topic that a lot of athletes ask questions about all the time. The Boston Marathon. We have helped probably close to about 100 people. I don't know. You'd probably have a good idea also how many people have qualified. We don't keep track, but we've helped over 50 for sure qualify for the Boston Marathon for the first time. And it's a very common goal that we hear athletes sign. Long-term goal that they want to achieve. And we just want to dive into what it means to qualify for Boston and what kind of training goes into it and what sort of athletic background that we see um, have success in qualifying for Boston and just talking about that goal and just diving into all the detail that it entails. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's the big one people that people really are drawn to the Boston marathon and it's a really special race.
0: It is. It's one of the oldest marathons or maybe it is the oldest. I don't really have my historical facts right, right now, but um, it is one of the oldest. And it's just really great to be out there running with all the pros. And what's really prestigious about it is that you have to qualify to run it. I mean, you can run it for charity, but most people get in through the qualifications, which is really challenging in and of itself. So qualifying for women would be, you have to run a full marathon. I mean, that you have to run the marathon, but not only that, you have to run it if you're a woman under the age of you know, 35, you have to run it at under 8-minute pace just to qualify. Um, and if you're a male under the age of 35, you have to run it at under 652 per mile, 26.2 miles, 652, um, to qualify, which is most people think 26.2 miles is long enough, but adding in those paces, it might almost seem like, wow, how does anyone ever get to that level?
1: Right. They're, they're really, really impressive times, and it takes – takes a lot of work to get to that point.
0: Right. Like when I first started running, I remember thinking of an eight minute mile and thinking that that's like a sprint for me. So just working on getting that aerobic base and allowing yourself that time to just become, you know, an experienced runner who has miles under their belt and has that aerobic endurance built up um, before tackling, you know, a specific goal, like, it's great to have it as a long-term goal is what I'm kind of getting at.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, I see a lot of people that say that that's their goal, but when you start out, you have to take the necessary steps to get there because if if it were easy to achieve something that big, then everybody would just be doing it and it wouldn't have as much meaning as it does. So it can take, you know, it can take years of work. Most people that, that we have that are hitting their first Boston qualifying time have been working at it for many years
0: yep I would say most people who qualify for Boston in general they've been running for running like I mean just running so that means I'd say they're probably doing you know at least 30 miles per week um for a series of at least five to six years before they um end up qualifying for Boston and some of the people that we see I mean it's it's decades that they've been running. And so over 10 years, um, just building that base and maybe they have a few marathons under their belt. Maybe they ran in high school or college, but regardless, it's just, it's something that takes a lot of time to kind of craft into that athlete who has that strong aerobic base to be able to hit those sort of paces for 26.2 miles. Right.
1: And, I mean, it, it does take a lot and a lot of people don't have the patience always to do that, but it it really takes a lot of time. One analogy that I kind of like to use a lot of times is imagine if you were climbing, if you were trying to get to the top of a mountain, which qualifying for Boston is, you know, it's up there. It's the top of the mountain. There's, you know, you can always take the winding path that's safe, but it takes more time or Some people like to try to scale the side of the cliff and that's a lot more dangerous. And, and as a coach, I just don't like to see when people want to try to cut out steps to think that you have to Boston qualify this year. I mean, Boston's always going to be there and it's really special and it will always be special.
0: I love your analogy. So going through, you know, like the scenic drive up to the peak, it's like, it might take longer. There might be some detours along the way. And you're like, am I ever going to get there? But part of that is like, when I drive up a mountain pass and you're, you're driving up, like you see a lot of like beautiful things along the way. Like there's sights to see, there's things to do. And that's kind of like with running. I mean, with your background, just to give some background on Ben, he's one of our coaches that run for PRs. He started running in middle school, and he didn't run his first marathon. How old were you when you ran your first marathon?
1: Oh, 26. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking 14-ish years it took for him from when he started running to when he qualified for Boston for the first time. And in his case, because he spent so much time on, you know, the speed work first, getting his times down, he was able to qualify on the first try, Um, And that a lot of the times we see people on social media or people we might know who qualify for Boston on the first time. And I know a lot of people, they like kind of roll their eyes. They're like, how did they do that? But it's usually because they have an aerobic base that they built up. Maybe they ran in high school, college. Maybe they were a soccer player like Coach Megan. She played soccer at, I think, a D2 or maybe D1 school. And so after she was done with soccer, she had a great aerobic base built up because when you're playing soccer, you're out there running around. So you can't – like these people didn't like cut out steps, so it might appear like they're kind of scaling the mountain they're getting to that goal before other people. But a lot of the times there's other work that was put in behind the scenes that isn't shown right away when you see, oh, they qualify for Boston on the first try. Yeah, it's,
1: it's kind of that tip of the, tip of the iceberg analogy. You can, you can see the top and that's the success. But everything under the water is all the work that they put in. And like, like in Megan's example, she was running all those years playing soccer, building an aerobic base, but not actually training for marathons. So that aerobic base was already there, and she had a solid foundation. A lot of people think that, you know, it's like, oh, it's just a natural. But if you played basketball in high school or, you know, if you played sports in high school and were athletic – You were laying that foundation at a pivotal time that you can come back 10 years later and be able to build on that. It's already there.
0: It is really true. Yeah. So there is an advantage. If you're listening to this and you're someone who has a past in sports or doing some sort of like endurance related thing in your past, like maybe hockey or Nordic skiing, those sort of things, you actually have a benefit because you have that background. So your body's already primed up for that aerobic fitness, and it might, it just might take longer because marathon specific training is very different than say biking or playing hockey, but you have like somewhat of a foundation. Whereas there are some people who come into the sport of running and they have nothing. So me, for example, um, coach Victoria, I didn't participate in sports growing up. I just was not active. I, it wasn't something that was appealing to me. Um, so when I started running, when I was about 17, 18 years old, like it was ground zero for me. Um, and you have to really go through the motions of just becoming active. When you, you're going from inactive to being active, there's more steps that you kind of have to take and a longer journey sometimes to build that foundation.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point though, but but you can. you know, You can get your body to improve. Sometimes people get frustrated in that early stage of, of building that aerobic capacity. But if you keep working at it and keep putting in the effort, you're going to see improvements, even if they are small and, and take a while.
0: Totally. And it can be super daunting to be, you know, first starting out on your journey and doing a three-mile run and thinking, oh my gosh, that was the hardest thing I've ever done or doing a six-mile run and thinking there's no way I could ever run further, Um I mean, those are very real things that I experienced. I'm sure you experienced at some point. So just because you're thinking that it's really hard, like in those beginning stages, does not mean that you can't get to that end goal eventually. It's just a progressive overload. And when you follow the training and you just give your body that time, it is going to make changes and adaptions and you will get faster and stronger, but just not skipping any steps in between. Like there is no like fast track, like, way to go from zero to bq you know in like two years
1: yeah everybody's everybody's gonna have a different journey and i think that's that's one thing that really gets to people is they see someone else achieving their boston qualifying time on social media and you know think well i should do workouts like that person or i should i should do what they do because that's how they did it but in reality they have a different background they're a different person they have different anatomy than you so there there's so many differences you have to really be on your journey and not kind of have blinders on to what what other people are doing around you
0: this is so true I remember when I first started coaching um, back in 20. 20- 2015 or 2014 I believe I was working with two women at the time both of them had goals to qualify for Boston they were about the same age Um, we were going for like the 335 was their qualifying time at the time and I just remember being amazed at how they responded to training one of them it was like 60 miles per week Um, that was her sweet spot she was improving a lot um, one rest day per week. It was more of like a high mileage. She could handle two workouts a week. Um, the next, they, they were basically at the same fitness level, but, um, this other athlete, it was like, she was running three, four days a week. You know, (laughs) she was cross training the other days and she, the feedback she was giving me is like any more than running, you know, four days a week, like her body, it just was not responding to training. Um, and it, for me as a coach, it was like that first experience where I'm like, okay, these two athletes, they're, they're doing a little bit of a different training plan. I wonder if they're going to get the same, same results, you know, like you, you always worry. Cause you think, Oh, I have to run a certain amount of mileage or all this stuff. But in the end they both ended up running BQs. Um, they both ended up hitting their goals, but there's just two different paths. So everyone thinks there's like some sort of magical formula when in reality, the magical formula is just listening to your body, giving your coach feedback and being able to develop a plan that works your strengths and weaknesses allows optimal time for recovery and allows your body to like reach the next level. And that might look different than what, you know, the girl on Instagram is doing or what your best friend or your coworker who's ran Boston a hundred times is
1: doing. Yeah. I think individual differences is really important to take into account. And you have to kind of think of, of finding kind of where your line is in the sand you know and if you if you go past that line then you're risking injury and overtraining and and the consequences are going to be poor so we want to stay on the other side you know on the good side of that line and sometimes people want to walk right on the line but i would just say err on the side of caution you know stay stay where you know you're healthy you feel good and don't cross over that line and just wait you know wait for the time for your body to adjust and adapt before you try to go to the next level
0: Right. What I think is really easy to get caught up in when you say, you know, being on the safe side of the line is that you can maintain your fitness when you're like riding on like the bad side of that line. So, what some people get caught in that trap where, all right, like you're like maybe on the edge of burnout and like you just keep running the same times and you keep, you know, within, One to two minutes, like you're just kind of stuck there and people that they're afraid to make training changes because they're like, well, I'm maintaining my fitness level now. And I'm afraid if I cut back or I'm afraid if I don't do a certain workout, like I'm not going to achieve my goals. And so people get stuck in this whole, like, I have to keep training this way because you know, like it's what's working to maintain my fitness. And if I take something away, it's going to take away fitness. When in reality, um, in order to create change, you have to change a variable in your training. And I think that's really hard for people to grasp that concept.
1: Yeah, I think people are people are really afraid of that or they, there's always this perception that, you know, more is better. When a lot of times, you know, less is actually more. And I know, you know, you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago and and it's really paid off for you. And I think has allowed you to kind of reach that next level in your training.
0: Right. Like I was totally caught up in it because I, I had seen improvements, you know, increasing my own mileage. That's what helped me, you know, end up qualifying for Boston. I, I bumped my mileage up to like 50 miles per week and then I ran a 327 marathon. So I was like, well, let's just keep increasing. Let's just keep doing what I was doing because clearly it worked. Right. So I... I ended up increasing the following year. I improved a little bit. Um, and then it just kind of went overboard with, with the increases. Cause I was like, well, this is what I need to do to get faster. I need to run more mileage. So it just kind of went from something that was a good tweak to something that sent me over the edge. Um, I was running slower times. I was confused. Like, why am I not, you know, hitting the times that I want to, when I'm putting in the work and I was afraid to like dial back. Cause I, that uh, you know, will increase my mileage is what ended up making me faster. And I think a lot of people get caught in that trap. Um, and they're afraid to admit to themselves that they might be burnt out because burnout isn't always super obvious. Cause it's not like one day you wake up and you're exhausted. <laughs> it's like over a year, you do a few things here and there over and over again, that you end up just kind of in this spot where you don't want to be with your running. And then you realize it and you wake up one day and you're like, why have I not you know, been able to run the times that I used to run. Um, and that's kind of what sparks people to want to change, um, and just break through that rut. And so what I ended up doing was cutting my mileage significantly, um, and seeing a lot of improvements there, which was really surprising me because this last training cycle, I did 50 miles per week again. And that's what I did when I ran 327 and I ran 313. So 14 minutes faster running the same mileage. Cause it's all about quality.
1: Yep, quality, quality and time is equals success. And I think, I think that's a huge trap that people, people fall into is that, you know, good or bad. If you run, you run a race, if it's a good result, you feel really great about it, and you say, well, you know, I'm going to do better next time, so I'm going to train even harder. You run a bad race, and you say to yourself, well, you know, the trap at least is, well, I didn't train hard enough. I need to increase this, this, and this. So either way, instead of just kind of continuing the course of what you were doing and making small modifications, you have this desire to do like, I got to go to the next level. And that's a big jump in people's mind when in reality, it's just kind of a gradual increase.
0: Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's just dialing back. Like we've seen people, they come to us and. You know they're maybe like 10 minutes away from coffin for boss and we take a look at their training. they're like, I'm doing you know like 70, 60 miles a week <laughs> and we're like, well, how is that working for you? And they're like, well, my last marathon was like 20 minutes slower than my PR and it's like okay, let's 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 rethink the whole plan of what you've been doing here because when you're when you're seeing like red flags like that kind of pop up, that's a time where you need to kind of reassess like what you're doing and like how is your training serving you?
1: Right. And and that, and that could be really hard for people, but just see a lot of success when people are willing to make some of these changes and, and kind of let their body have that time to recover as well.
0: Totally. And I think just as far as timeline goes and like building to Boston kind of back on the topic of Boston, um, I guess some people, they want to know like what, what does the journey to Boston look like? So, most people, let's say you run your first marathon, like how long does it take to go from non runner to marathoner in your opinion?
1: That that's a really tough question because there's so many factors that you don't see. But I mean, it really it kind of really depends on where you're at. You know, if your first if your first marathon you run four hours and you need to run three thirty you know, you might be a year away, you might be two or three years away. It just kind of depends on how the development goes after that and how, how healthy you can continue to be and, and how well your training goes.
0: Right. And I think that's important to know is that some people, they could run a four-hour marathon for their first one, and then within a year they could get down to 330 or even sooner. But other people might take like five, ten years to go from four 3:30, it just really depends on like your body and like how your body responds to the training and you, the lifestyle situation that you're able to put in to do the training. Um, and I just think something that's really important, let's say you run a four-hour marathon and your goal is 3:30, um, is setting small goals along the way to keep you motivated. Because Boston, for a lot of people, is like a long-term goal. So let's say you're like a two hour half marathoner and you want to qualify for Boston that's more of like a long term goal that you would set, and then it's nice to have those benchmark goals along the way to keep you motivated like every six six months addressing them and studying them to get you to that ultimate goal.
1: Yeah, right. There, you know, like you said, you have to if you're need to run 3 thirty in the marathon, you know working on your half marathon first, getting that down. To 140, or you know, to break 140, right. you know, maybe running one marathon during the year as well, and trying to take that next step to 350 or 345, you know, that's success. But people don't always focus on success. I mean, improving 10 minutes in a marathon is is a huge accomplishment. It it's not the 30 minutes that you ultimately need, but it is the next step on the path.
0: Right. And Another thing that's really important, I think to address is that you have to train for the fitness that you're in right now. You can't like jump the gun and start like racing workouts. So like, for example, if someone is, you know, four hour marathoner and maybe like a 24 minute 5k, they do like eight minute pace 5k or 745 pace probably. um, Like what sort of like, they can't just dive into a marathon plan where okay, well, my marathon pace is now 7.45. You can't make that sort of jump without,
1: yeah. Yeah, and people, a lot of people do that or there's a lot of misconceptions thinking, you know, I need to run every single long run at marathon pace. So if you want to run, you know, 3.30, really your easy pace, you know, that's eight minute pace for your race. Your easy pace should be nine to 10 minutes and it's going to vary every single day. If you do a workout today, it's not realistic that tomorrow you're going to be able to come back and run eight-minute pace for your easy run because that, that's really not your easy run pace.
0: Right. And I think what's really hard about that for people to understand is that eight-minute pace for someone who is – you know, let's say you're a 22 minute five care eight minute pace for you is, is going to probably feel easy. Yes. Because it's an aerobic pace. You're working your aerobic system, but it's like the upper end of your aerobic. So like, it's right there. I mean, you're riding the line. So your chance for injury when you're running that pace versus like 10 minute pace is like way higher. So like, let's say you're going out on, you know, your 20 mile long run and you choose to do your long run at eight minute pace, that aerobic marathon pace, you're, you're going like as fast as you can while keeping it aerobic. So that just like shoots up that chance for injury. Um, whereas if you're running 10 minute pace, it's a lot easier on your body. Um, it's not going to cause as much stress and doing 20 miles already is a huge stress on your body. So if we're stressing the same system and that's the aerobic system, you want to be going, at the pace that's going to do less stress to your body so that you can recover and then be hitting those quality workouts
1: during the week. Right. Exactly. With, with a long run like that, I mean, that is a quality workout. You know, you're, you have one or two workouts during the week, you have a, a long run, even going long run at easy pace. It's still taxing your body. I mean, you're, you're using a lot of your reserves. Your muscles are working a long time. You're increasing that risk of injury after after that long run, if you don't take the proper recovery methods.
0: Right. That's, I mean, that's so important to remember that just going those long distances, a run over 90 minutes, that in and of itself, regardless of the pace that you're going is a stress event on your body. And it's hard to recover from it's, it is a workout, (laughs) regardless of if you're going, you know, three minutes per mile slower than marathon pace or, two minutes or one minute slower, it's still a workout.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, so that's a common misconception is that you need to run them all at all your long runs at marathon pace when in reality, it'd be better to run them slower. So you get that time on your feet without putting as much damage on your muscles and you're going to be able to come back and recover faster because you didn't go as deep into the well.
0: Right. And my point is always, why would you go faster if you can get the same benefit from, do, like if it's prescribed long, slow, easy, and then you have a tempo run, you know, four days later, you're, you're, you want to keep it long, slow, easy on your easy run. That way you can actually hit your quality threshold session a couple of days later. Cause if you're not recovering in between, um, you're, you're not going to be able to hit your workouts.
1: Right. And then you're, you're getting into this constant cycle. So you run hard on Saturday or you run long on Saturday and you run too hard coming back on Tuesday or Wednesday for a workout is not going to go as well so the pace is going to be slower and you're going to feel more you're going to feel down mentally before you go into your weekend again which might have another long run or workout and then you're, you're in this constant cycle that it's hard to break out of.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. So just focusing on keeping those quality workouts where you're putting the quality effort and then using, if your long run is prescribed as long, slow, easy, just keep it at that easy pace. Um, There are some athletes that we add in like marathon pace work into their long runs. um, That's maybe as you're like approaching like a BQ or like more towards a racing a marathon, um, getting down there and you're more experienced. But for a lot of like first time marathoners, we might not do any marathon pace work just cause it's a little bit more advanced and more stressful on your body it just depends on the athlete.
1: Yeah. And there are lots of ways to do, to do a long run. And other ways, you know, to finish, to finish faster. So start out slow, progress each mile and finish that faster, and then you're you're feeling really good about it, and your body is going through that natural warm up, and then into a faster pace, and you're just kind of training your body for what you want to do in in the race.
0: Yeah, those are always my favorite go tos. Also, um, so as far as recommendations go, for how many marathons an athlete should run per year, ideally, as a coach, let's say someone's coming to you and they're like, I have a long term goal to qualify for Boston. I'm currently like a 4:15 marathoner have to get down to 3:30 what sort of game plan would you ideally have for this person like a 5 year plan like how many marathons are
1: they running? I like one marathon a year I think I think that's a lot to put put on your body both physically and mentally and it, a marathon cycle takes a lot out of you and you have to recover I mean I ran my I ran a marathon in September and I'm, I've been running the whole time but I haven't been hard focusing on my training or doing many workouts I'm still kind of coming off of that so I think people always want to do you know two marathons a year or or even more but it's really a lot to to let your body recover after you do a hard effort marathon
0: right and I think some people can get away with it for a couple years you know like seeing how many can I do but eventually like the longevity of the sport is that okay, if you want to qualify for Boston, you're a 430 marathoner right now, we want to keep you feeling good year after year um, to reach those long-term goals. Because who says like Boston qualifying is your limit, you know, like it, It maybe it's not, you know, but doing training that's in tune with your long-term goals, instead of just like, let's see how much speed we can get out of you these first couple of years. And then like you hit a place of burnout, which is very real. And we see it happen to old you know, college, um, teammates that Ben ran with. And there's just a lot of times that we see athletes that push really, really hard for a couple of years. And then, um, unfortunately either due to injury or just burnout. They just no longer run or they're, they don't, um, have that drive for competition anymore because they kind of, I don't want to say they like used it all up, but, um, that's kind of what happens if you, you do a little bit too much, it can lead to that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. So I, so what I would say is kind of target your one marathon that you're running and then after that is a good time to go through like a speed phase and maybe look to a half marathon and then you can have that fitness base come back for six months after that to do another marathon and, and look, really look for improvement on that one.
0: Right. And like just adding in strength training and focusing on speed. Like there's a lot of things that you can do within running. Um, and I think a lot of people get caught up in, um, got to do a marathon, got to train for marathon after marathon, just because marathons are a big deal. They're really fun. They're exciting. Um, a lot of people do it. There's a lot of hype around it. You know, like you go into work, your coworkers are like, how's marathon training or how was your marathon? You know, they don't say like, how was your 5k or like, how's your 5k training going? Um, and a lot of the times I know when I first started working and I tell people, I'm a runner. Um, The next question, of course, is what marathons have you ran or how many marathons have you done? And I'm sure you can attest to this because you didn't do your first marathon until you were 26. Um, How many times do you think that you were asked, like, have you done a marathon?
1: Hundreds of times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And people probably looked at you like, you're not even a runner, like, quote unquote, yeah, because you had, you know,
1: definitely had that kind of had that vibe, or, you know, and at the time I was running pretty fast half marathon and, and 10Ks, but people would ask, you know, well, how many marathons have you done? Or, you know, and it's like, well, I've never done a marathon. I'm, I'm running half marathons. And it's like, oh, oh okay, you know, <laughs> I've only, I've still only done, I've only done two marathons, you know, which I'm happy, happy with both of them, but it, that's in running for, 17, 18 years close to now.
0: Right. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, when, when people ask you, have you done a marathon? I'm sure it it may be like, you know, it, it planted a seed in you. Like, do I need to run a marathon? You know, it starts to like, have you question yourself, you know, a little bit. So if you're not really secure and what you're training for and, like, confident in your goals and, like, what you want out of running, um, it can kind of put pressure on people, I think. I know for sure for me um, it definitely played a role into why I signed up for my first one because people just don't – they don't take you as seriously. If, I mean, from my perspective, I felt like I wasn't be t- being taken seriously unless I did a marathon. Um, and then once it's over, I was like psh- – that wasn't worth it to, to, to make other people happy, you know?
1: Yeah, I think I think that happens all the time where people kind of their friend pressures their friend pressures them into a marathon or they feel social media pressure. But I think that's something that you really have to be ready to do. And I really waited until I was ready, despite what everyone else had their own opinions on it. But I wanted to make sure that I really wanted to do a marathon.
0: Right and I mean at the time you were like 15 sub 15 minute 5k so it's like it's crazy to me that people like wouldn't take you seriously but I think it just speaks to more of you were really secure in what you were doing and you were running for yourself and you had goals that you wanted to achieve before you took on the marathon and you weren't going to do it before you you were like mentally ready to do it.
1: Yeah exactly and I that it's all that's another trap that people fall into is just kind of jumping the gun to You know, if you haven't, if you haven't done a half marathon, probably sign up for a marathon is not the best idea. You got to really take those necessary steps.
0: Right. I just think there's, there's a huge conversation that can be had to like the whole pressure thing and feeling like you have to do marathons. And even athletes who have done a couple marathons, it's like, they get caught in the, I'm going to do, I'm going to sign up for the lottery for Chicago, NYC, Berlin. And then it's like, you get into all three. Well, they got to run all three because, you know, social media and that's, that's hard to do a September and October, November, which is fine. Like if that's your goal and you want to travel the world and that's like something that really brings you happiness and those are your goals, that's awesome. But if your goal is I want to qualify for Boston, um, set me up for success for that. It's hard as a coach to see people wanting to do, you know, back to back to back races like that. Cause sometimes it can set you back, um, a couple of months when, you could have been training the whole time to like improve your fitness. It just really depends on your goals. But since we're talking about qualifying for Boston, I figured I'd throw that in
1: there. Just to build on that a little bit. I mean, I think that's, that's true. There are tons of different great goals that you can have, but I think you really need to kind of narrow your scope. If qualifying for Boston is what your, your goal is, then you need to do these steps. If running, I mean, I have a great athlete that wants to just run, half marathons in every state and that's that's the goal so we're we're trained to do that we're trained to run a half marathon in every state and you know with with a loose time goal but but that's okay you kind of really need to figure out what what your real goal is and then make a plan as to how to get there
0: right and I think that's like a huge topic in and of itself also because it's Like you get – you hear so much noise on social media um, if people are active on there. Like what other people are doing. And sometimes I think we've lost the art of like self-reflection and just like what do you want to do? You know, like listening to yourself and what events – make you happy and what sort of training you enjoy doing, um, instead of getting caught in that trap of, well, I have to do this or this is what everyone else is doing. Like, this is the path for me. Um, just because there's so much noise out there directing you that way. Um, whereas like, if you just reflect and think, you know, actually I really enjoy doing 5k races or I want to train for the one mile or I want to do indoor track. um, I think it's really cool when athletes come and they have really specific goals that you can tell they've really reflected on, And they know what they want to do. um, And they're just really driven to follow the plan towards that goal.
1: Right. Yeah. And I I agree too. It makes it, that makes it really fun. You know, people have this, this perception of like fear of missing out on something, but every race will be there next year. It's not like there are these exclusive races that happen one time. I mean, they're going to be there and you always have the time. There's no need to rush to do six marathons in a year because then it, really sets you back for the next couple of years.
0: Right. But I mean, again, if that's what you want to do, you want to see like, how does my body like respond to doing a marathon every month? And you don't really care about like your time goals for that year. And that's just something that you want to do. Like, that's a goal. Totally like good. that's a different totally goal. Yeah. Right. Um, but just knowing like, what is your goal? And then like working to develop a plan towards that every day. So if your end goal, like hundred percent, you want to be Q. Um, it might look a little bit different than, you know, becoming a marathon maniac or doing all six of the continents or (laughs) whatever other challenges there are out
1: there. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, So another interesting thing that I thought we would talk about is you qualified for Boston, the Boston 2017 marathon, I think. Yep. And then... You also qualified for this year, I think. Um, And you didn't register for either races.
1: I didn't.
0: Do you want to speak a little bit to like why or what kind of influenced your decisions?
1: I I mean, I think it's really special. I I think it's a really special thing. I'm just not quite ready to run it yet. I mean, I have a lot of athletes and a lot of friends that that go run every year and that's their thing. And they, they really want to do it. For me, I think it's kind of the thing that I kind of want to wait till my wife runs a marathon and she hasn't done one yet and she's not, she's not ready. So I'm not pressuring her to run one. And then when, when she does, I think we'll both probably go to Boston together and, and that'll be, I'll be really satisfied with that.
0: Right. So for you in your mind, it's like, it's, it's always going to be there and I, I can, you know, achieve this goal um, later down the road. It's not like you, you have to do it every year because you never know what, you know, what's going to happen. Which is, which is interesting because I've seen other people, they, they do the same thing. Like they qualify for it and then they don't sign up. And I'm always like, oh, my gosh, but you qualified, you know. Um, why aren't you signing up? And they're just like, well, I don't know if it's like the right time or I don't know. I just wanted to qualify. I don't really need to run it, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think it's super special. I do want to run it someday just for the, the history of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I respect people that decide not to. There's, I mean, it always fills up. So there's always spots. So if you don't really want to run it, don't, don't take someone else's spot that really does, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's tough too. Yup. Cause I know sometimes people register and it's like, yeah, I would hate to have, cause in 2017, I, I didn't register that year, um, but I was qualified and I I had like the worst FOMO, like the day that you could register in September. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like I cannot believe I'm not registering because like you log on Instagram, all you see is people who are registered. So I didn't register, um, but I ended up getting pregnant. So I would have been like 12 weeks pregnant. I'm not sure that I would have ran um, just because, yeah, <laughs> my pregnancy was hard for me to run. Um, but I, yeah, so it's good. It's actually a good decision. I didn't register, but
1: Right. I I mean, you never know what you're going to get with Boston. I know you ran it last year when it was really tough. And Mm -hmm. I think you ran it the year when it was extremely hot too.
0: Yes. And it's funny because now that I've done it a few times, I understand this whole concept of the Boston marathon. It's not in my opinion. Like if I, this is, this is what I would tell anyone who asks me. um, I don't think Boston is an easy course it is not going to be a pr course for most people like of course there's exceptions like asterisks asterisks there's an exception to every rule so yes of course people can pr there i almost pr there um but it's a ha- like it is a hard course um so just knowing that um when you register like this is this is a marathon you're going to be doing in the spring and it's going to be hard um and then also knowing weather. so if you're signing up for a marathon in the spring, you have to just be aware. Like, I mean, Boston, it can be, it can be a rain. It can be like basically hurricane like conditions. It can be 90 degrees, you know, it can be anything. So you're not guaranteed a cold day. Like if you sign up for, I don't know, like the Indianapolis Indianapolis. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't talk the Indy marathon in November. Um, it's in Indianapolis and it's in November. So the chances of that being a cold day is like, 95 percent but if you're going out to Boston and the chances of you getting like perfect weather whoa <laughs> like not gonna happen and those factors that's another reason why I don't think it's like a super easy PR course all the time um just because there's so many factors that go into the weather and even just your train cycle I mean we live in Minnesota right good luck getting outside for any long runs you know it's
1: it's yeah I, that's typically what I recommend people as well that you know, it took a lot of work to get here, so make sure you do enjoy it and have fun. You know, and I have some people that are like, "Nope, I'm going to PR at Boston." It's like, "All right, great, let's 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 do it." You know, let's
0: let's get to doing hill work. <laughs> yep. Let's
1: do it, but but overall, I would recommend most people just you know go have fun. You, you're a great runner already. There'll be another marathon also, so don't don't put so much pressure on yourself for this Boston because it's special you know there's a chance that you maybe you wouldn't be back here you know maybe things in life will change and and yeah it's hard to train in the winter you never know what kind of weather you're going to get training or going to the race so really soak in the whole experience
0: yeah I'm getting excited just talking about it (laughs) it's so fun going and just you know, being a part like when you go out there, it's like there's people from all over the world there. People, I mean, it's like they go in huge groups and people are always like they're running all around and you you just see all different cultures and people. It's it's a very unique experience and everyone's super fast. Like when you get in your corral, it's like whoa! <laughs> Everyone has a bib number that like indicates you know they ran a marathon time around the same as you and you're never gonna be. In a race. I mean, maybe you are, but you're never really gonna be in a race where that many fast people are all running right next to you. And like you just have a huge group of people to run with the entire race that are just right around your fitness level. It's really fun. Um so I guess qualifying for Boston is another thing that can be a little bit confusing for people <laughs> at times. Um they they changed the bus and qualifying standard this past September. Um so before for women under the age of 35 it was 335 for men under the age of 35 it was 305. Um and every year you have to submit an application to run the race and people who qualify by a lot get to submit their application first and if you didn't qualify by a lot you you get to submit on the last day and so what ha- has happened the last three years is that people who submit on the last day um boston has gone through and they come up with a cutoff time so anyone last year who ran like a 334 333 332 331 and qualified did not get into to their race um it was like the biggest cutoff they've ever done i think it was like four minutes and I don't know, I want to say like in the 50 something seconds, we had one person who ran like three, thirty oh one or two. And she got in and it was like by a couple seconds. Um, but yeah, that was tough. And so then they ended up changing the qualifying standards to be even faster now. And so a lot of people are worried, Oh, do I need to get a buffer? Because in the past they haven't accepted just because you qualify, it doesn't mean you're going to run. Um, and so that in and of itself is a huge question, which have you been asked that question yet this year? Like what sort of cutoff time do you think it's going to be?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. That, that question comes up a lot and and people are mad about them moving it five minutes. But, but, I mean, it's just, you know, it shows that how good running is and it's kind of just a line in the sand. I mean, so it's not like there's nothing – way different between 335 and 330 it's just kind of where where the population is moving you know people have been able to get faster training better whatever it is so you know I don't know what's going to happen this year with for or I mean with a new standard if it's going to still have to have a buffer or not but I think that you have to just do your training run the best race possible and be happy with it.
0: Right. I mean, there's nothing that you can do differently in your training that's going to, you know, control that factor. So it's a tough, it's a tough question to get because like our job as a coach is to like prep you to be in the best shape possible on race day. And like your job as an athlete is just to be, to get into the best shape possible for race day. Um, and then just like wherever, you know, the cards may fall on race day, you know, whether you get like a three minute buffer or a six minute buffer, it, it's, it's always tough. Um, but as far as like speculating, in my opinion, for like, what guarantees you a spot at Boston, you're never really guaranteed a spot until you get the email back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I mean, there's really no way of knowing. As a coach, and as someone who just can speculate, I personally would say like, a five minute buffer would be nice to have, of course, just to give you, you know, like that peace of mind, if, if that's where your fitness is at. But Um, there's no need to, like, jump the gun and, like, do some sort of aggressive, oh, well, I'm going to change my entire pacing plan, like, the day before the race because they changed the time. It's, like, just trying to be in the best shape possible, um, and good things are going to happen.
1: Right, and then run run your race just because, you know, if it was 335 and now you think you have to run 325, you can't change anything about your preparation – that you've had. I mean, you have to run the race, the best race you can for that day and maybe take that next step for the future.
0: Yep. Totally. Great advice. Um, as far as training goes then, cause we talked a little bit about how you have to train for the shape you're in and just getting into that best shape possible. What would you say is we could talk about the ranges that we've seen, but what is average for the typical athlete that you see Um, qualify for Boston for the first time in terms of mileage?
1: Uh, Super tough question because, you know, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, 30 to 40 as like a kind of a minimum, you know, not to say there aren't people that can run a little less, or if you're running 30 miles a week, but you're cross training for an hour on three other days, you know, that, that still goes into effect for your cardio.
0: Is this like for peak mileage, you're saying like 30 to 40
1: minimum? No. Yeah. I think minimum for that, you know, maybe some people are going to be over that. Some people are going to be that running, you know, you might be running 40 miles a week and cross training three days and resting one day, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of factors that are moving what do you
0: see as like the maximum or like at what point do you personally as a coach like if you see someone who's aiming for about like a five minute buffer Boston qualifier first time um and you see like a red flag as a coach like what is like the max mileage that you would want to see an athlete like that running before you kind of start to see diminishing returns uh
1: everyone's different I mean people think you have to run more than you know I have to run 70 miles a week or 80 miles a week and and I think that might just be too much I mean if you're if you're getting around 60 miles, that's a lot of mileage in a week. I mean, that's a right. Lot, that's a lot on your body. Even even 50 miles a week is 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 quite a bit of mileage.
0: Totally. Yep. So about like 60. So between like about I when someone asked me that question, I think okay, most people who are running 3:30 marathons at I coach or between 3:25-3:30, they're peaking at about peak week. It's about 55 like that's yeah. usually, I mean, on average, I mean, we have people who do like 45, you know, um, just really depends on the athlete.
1: I would say, yeah, I would say 55 would be a good number, but I mean, it just
0: like, there is no special formula. Like no It's form- so, it's so variable. Um, this is just like an average and oh. you'll fall between, you know, anywhere between 30 and 60, you know, which is kind yeah, of a broad I, answer.
1: I guess I'll say just for an example, like when I was in high school, we ran, 20 to 30 miles a week. And when I was going to college, the prescribed mileage was 50 miles a week during that summer. And I was, you know, I was going to hit it. You know, I, I was the guy that was going to achieve exactly what was on the sheet of paper. So I did. So I did hit miles for two weeks in a row. And then basically the next four weeks, I ran 15 miles a week and was really tired, you know? So in reality, running 30 miles every single week would have been more beneficial than trying to do a certain, number that someone had put on a sheet of paper.
0: Right. Totally agree. I love that you added that because I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of, oh, they said I got to do this and then just aggressively jumping. And so if anytime you're increasing your mileage, I like to go by about like the 10% per week rule, um, which would be so if you're at 30 this week, do 33 and then 36 the next week. But then also having a cutback week where you cut back to, you know, like 25 miles per week or whatever, um, just to give your body a chance to deload. Um, and as far as like days per week running, um, with the, you know, 50 miles per week, let's say how many rest days do you typically see for these athletes?
1: I I mean, I would say having one rest day, usually a week, maybe after the long run is kind of a good idea. Sometimes people, you know, will ask this question of like, you know, I want this many running days or, you know, I need to run every single day of the week. But sometimes it's better to take that rest day or even, you know, even your cross training and and your easy running days. Like these are active recovery days, which gets back to the point of how important it is to keep the pace easy. Because running five miles easy is allowing your body recovery.
0: Right. And it's so important to actually keep it easy. And some days, even if you're someone who is a 330 marathoner, I mean, you might be going a 1030 10:45 pace on an easy recovery day if you totally trash your legs from you know like a tempo run the day before and you just need to keep it easy um there is no like minimum or maximum pace for an easy day like you can go slow
1: You should yeah
0: yeah you should um and just listening to your body with that Um so in terms of like racing leading up to let's say you want to qualify for Boston you have a, a goal marathon on the calendar and you're, you know, six to four months out, what sort of races would you suggest having in a block of training?
1: I mean, I think that, I think races can be good. You kind of get that, that race mentality, you get around other people. A 10, 10 K would be good leading up. You could do a half marathon, like sometimes a couple weeks out of your marathon would be a good time to run a half marathon, but to kind of keep it more marathon pace type effort. Uh, I've had people want to do a marathon in their training for their marathon, but I, I think that's doing too much.
0: Right. That would be a tough one to swing, doing a marathon in your marathon. I mean, people have done it, but it's definitely, it's, it's difficult it's still- to, to recover from, you know, let's say you're doing that as easy pace. Um, that's still going to be, you know, four hours worth of running.
1: Yeah, it's still a marathon. A marathon is always a marathon.
0: Exactly. And then how many long runs of 20 miles or more do you usually see these athletes run?
1: I mean, this is a question I get all the time is that because you see so much on social media, the person will say, oh, up, just did my third 20-mile or my fourth 20-mile or
0: <laughs> my fifth 20-mile or my <laughs> my
1: sixth yeah, it, consecutive it, 20 it, miler it keeps going i mean last last fall when i did my marathon i did two or three 18 milers 1 20 miler and 122 miler and my 22 miler was under 2 hours and 30 minutes so as far as how many like i i like to be more on the conservative side and i think i mean i think you're kind of the same way as like but for me what is the difference really between 18 miles and 20 miles and it, you know, it might be 20 minutes. So then you kind of ask yourself is doing 20 minutes more going to have a physiological benefit. And the answer is probably not, but is it going to put you at more risk for injury or your muscles going to be more tired? Is it going to take more time to recover? And the answer is going to be probably yes.
0: Yup. I find running over, um, over two hours that that's, it starts to be real tough on your body, but that like two hour to two hour, 30 minute window, I think is like this sweet spot in terms of building endurance. And that's kind of, that goes back to like the Jack Daniels, um, one of like the leading scientists who've studied running. Um, he always said cap it at two hours and 30 minutes, um, which we, we go and we allow, you know, up to three hours, but he says two hours, 30 minutes, Um, which I always think is interesting because personally being a 313 marathoner, I wouldn't even hit, I would be close, but wouldn't quite hit um, 20 miles in a two hour and 30 minute run. Um, And quite frankly, when I do long runs, I feel like right around two hours and 30 minutes, that's kind of like when my body's like, okay, yeah, it's over. (laughs) Like you're done, you know? (laughs) Um, Just because you're, you're coming into a long run. Off of a high mileage week, you probably did you know between a sixty to ninety minute workout during the week already. Your legs are fatigued, so a lot of people get nervous because they're like, "Oh, well, how do you know you're gonna go the last six miles?" And it's all back to trusting your training. It's only six more miles, you know. Like it's not like you're you're asking your body to go like triple the distance. And people who train for hundred milers, they often don't run over um, like thirty to thirty five miles in training. They might do a fifty-mile ultra in there, but I've I've known hundred-milers who do like thirty miles as their long run, and then it's like, well, so just they just figure, you know, like they'll make it.
1: Yeah, and it's got to. I mean, it's all got to make sense too. There's not a not a cookie-cutter formula. I mean, if your if your longest run has been twelve miles, and then I get the question, well, you know, when am I going to run my twenty? And it's like during your marathon. That will be. That will be your twenty mile, or you know, like because you can't you can't make this huge jump just because everybody else ran twenty. There's no magic to running twenty if it doesn't make sense. And I've had lots of successful marathon runners, even people BQ with their longest run being eighteen miles because something happened, you know, and, and instead of pushing for just two more miles on paper, we said, Okay, eighteen is good, that that's a good long run. We'll we'll cap it right there.
0: Yeah, and I know that you've had a lot of athletes who it seems like between 14 to 18 miles that tends to be kind of like the main distance for a lot of our long runs um, for people. And it just seems to be a really good spot where people are able to absorb the benefits of the long run um, and be able to recover for the rest of the week. Whereas sometimes we see... People who have either in the past overreached or they might see a long run that's 18 miles and say, you know what, I I really want to go 20. I want to go 22. Um, And then they they end up going further and it it can be a setback for people. Um, It might not be a setback right away, but just in general, just trying to be as smart as possible about training because there's more to um qualifying for Boston and then just like how many long runs you can do. You know, I mean you got to have the speed, you got to have the threshold, the stamina. Um of course you have to have endurance, but you have to be able to do those other quality workouts as well. So it's just a big puzzle
1: and trying to figure out the best way to get there.
0: Um kind of right. what we do as coaches.
1: And what I hear what I do hear a lot of times from people is like, oh, you know, I need to go, I need to run 20, I need to run 22 for that confidence to prove that i can do it and it's just you know and it's like well would it be better to run 20 miles and have the last two miles just be terrible and you feel awful about it and totally die or would it better to to run 16 or 18 miles finish really strong and feel really good and ready for the next week
0: Right. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, the mental aspect of the marathon and believing that you can do it and just being able to, like they always say, trust your training. Um, And that always becomes an issue too, because you have some people that have an amazing training cycle, everything's going well. And then all of a sudden you're about six weeks off from the race. And then they say, oh my gosh, I need to do a 24 mile long run. And then we're like, whoa, why do we need to do a 24 mile? Well, just so that I know, um, which is hard because, then it just comes down to like, do you believe in yourself? You know? And I think that's a huge part of training is believing in yourself and knowing that you are able to do it And something that helps me. Um, when I'm, you know, in the middle of a marathon training cycle, i always think, okay, if I can run, if I'm physically capable of running like 13.8 or like 14 miles, could I run a 20 miler? Absolutely. Like if, if I was trained to run like 14 miles and I had done it, In training, like, could I get to 20 miles? Of course. Like, (laughs) I know I could. So then why – I don't understand why it's so hard for people to, like, conceptualize. Like, if you did 20, like, you can get to that 26.2. And there's other ways that people have broken that down before where they're like, well, if you did four miles training for a 10K as your long run, would you be able to finish a 10K? And it's essentially, like, the same, like, proportions of how much you've done in training to how much you need to finish right yeah and i
1: think mental mentality is a huge thing i mean kind of going back to the talking about boston and people having that goal i mean it's it's a really big thing you have to i mean how many times have you had something in your life where you were stressing out about it and, and really worried about it like upset to your stomach and then had it turn out well you know yeah right So having a good mentality of like I'm, I'm going to do my best. You know, I did the training. I'm going to go raise my best. And then just doing the best that you can, as opposed to getting incredibly stressed about it. Or if you, you know, think, well, I'm starting out too slow. I have to make up time. I mean, just trust in your training and have, have a really good mentality about it.
0: Right. And I think that's a really, a really big point about having that race anxiety and putting all that pressure on yourself. Uh, we see that happen a lot, especially around the – the final week there um, in September where you're able to qualify for Boston. There's a lot of last chance Boston qualifiers and um, that can be a tough time for people. I mean, you're, you're putting, so to speak, all of your eggs in one basket. Um, This is the one, the last chance and just the whole uh, concept of that um, is, is, is a lot of pressure in and of itself. Um, And I think it's really difficult as coaches to see, athletes who put so much pressure on themselves on race day and one of the biggest things is just remembering like why you're doing it and doing it for yourself and only yourself and not really getting so wrapped up in time goals and I have to hit this pace and sometimes I think like our garments and clocks and all that stuff that they're our worst enemy when it comes to you know enjoying running and enjoying the journey because I think you can qualify for Boston and you can get there and get faster without obsessing over paces.
1: Right. And I think so many times Boston qualifying mentality, people kind of lose sight of like why they're running. I mean, you you didn't really start running the first time you ever ran to qualify for Boston. I mean, there was some other component, and hopefully it was enjoyment that you, that you liked it or you felt good about yourself when you did it. So when you, narrowly fixate on, I have to qualify for Boston here. And then you're in the middle of your race and you run 10 seconds slower than what you're supposed to run for that mile. It doesn't mean that you have to just throw in the towel I and mean, you can still do the best that you can. It might not be your BQ day, but you can, you can still finish and, and do as well as possible.
0: Right. There's a huge, there's a huge mentality out there. I think where people are, are putting pressure on themselves to, to BQ, I'm not sure if it's because of social media or people wanting to like fit in and say I've qualified for Boston. I mean, it's, it's a great thing to say like a title, you know, some sort of like group of runners that you can say that you're a part of. Um, It's, it's almost like a social acceptance sort of thing um, for some people. And I think, when you've been working so hard towards that goal, um, and then when you get to that one day where it's all just supposed to happen, it can be a lot of pressure. I remember when I qualified for Boston for the first time, like I didn't even, I don't think I talked about it being a Boston qualifying race. I just couldn't handle that sort of pressure. I mean, that would just be, that would have been too much for me. Um, just knowing how I am like as an athlete, I I can't just be like, Yeah, but I'm going out there to qualify for Boston today. To me, it was more like I did the best work that I could possible in a training cycle. Um, I knew I was in good shape. I didn't, I had an idea of what sort of marathon time I wanted to run that day, but I wasn't, but Boston qualifying wasn't like the forefront of my mind. I had, you know, other, other things in mind, like I want to feel strong when I hit mile 13, I want to be able to race, you know, the last couple miles. Um, it wasn't so much like I have to qualify for Boston because it would have been, it would have been too much pressure for me. Um, and I know a lot of people, sometimes they get that goal put in their mouth when it wasn't even there to begin with. Um, like for example, leading up to CIM this fall, I actually got a text message from the rambling runner. He's like, I have the, the guy who has a podcast and he's like, I have a question for you. So we had like a quick phone call and he was like, I really want you to be um, like on this live podcast that we're doing out in CIM. We're going to talk about like breaking major barriers and running. And he was like, and I know you're going after sub three. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, I like, I heard that a lot in my training cycle. Um, and it was really hard to hear because I was like, like part of me was like rolling my eyes. Cause I'm like, I never said that was my goal. Um, I think people, they followed along my training and it's, it's like a compliment in a way. Like people mean well when they said that, because they, they're saying you're in really good shape. Like I could see that happening for you. But for me, like in my mind, that was not a goal. So when someone was telling me like that, that's your goal or like thinking that I was aiming for that, it made me feel like partially like inadequate or like my goals were too low or like am I doing something wrong or you know what I mean? Like it's just like this whole, oh, like maybe I'm setting the bar too low. I um, mean it's easy to let people kind of like dictate those goals for you. Um but I tried really hard to like stay true to what my actual goal was that I set for myself. Um even though I had a lot of people whispering other goals in my ear. Um
1: that's, yeah. it's always mm-hmm. difficult. Really important not to let anyone else set your goals and, and and same thing in the race. Don't, don't run somebody else's race, run the race that you prepared for and have, you know, trained for.
0: Right. And just because like your friend, another example of that in 2013, when I first started doing marathons, there was a girl on my cross country team. We both graduated the same year and we were always the same place in races. Like we had very similar 5K times. Um, we were always doing workouts together. Like she was basically my training partner for all of cross country. Um, her name was Tanya. And I ran my first marathon in May and I ran 409. <laughs> and then she ran her first marathon in June at grandma's and she ran 343. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) like, what am I doing wrong? Or like, what is she doing? Right? You know, and part of me was just like, Oh, like, I'm not good enough. You know, you you start getting into like these mental debates. Um, I was really happy for her. But like, there's part of you that goes to that inadequacy of like, what am you know, like, for some reason, you project it on yourself, like, I should be able to do that. Um, And she was like, my goal is to be cute. And then within um, like nine months, she hit a BQ or within six months. No, at Twin City, So it was like three months later. So here she was, she was a 335 marathon or 330, 333. I think she ran uh, 333. And I was like stuck in like four hour range. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I don't understand. And it can be really frustrating when you start playing those comparison games. This was before social media was even a thing. Um, people were comparing back then with their training partners and stuff. But when you're on social media, oh my gosh, the noise that you receive... <laughs> about other people's training, about, like, what other people are doing. It can be so overwhelming. Um, I cannot imagine myself trying to, like, break through that, like, 2013 thing that I was in um, during the age of social media that we're in now because it's just it's too much pressure.
1: Yeah, I think people really feel that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really tough. So if you're listening and you've experienced that sort of pressure, just sh- shut it down, shut it off um, stop sharing your training, <laughs> you know, like that it's your training. Um, you don't need to share it with everyone if, if it's not making you comfortable or if, if you're feeling like weird about it, um, you don't have to share everything, you know, you don't have to consume everything that's online, just kind of focusing on yourself and doing more of like an internal thing and keeping it with your inner circle of people, um, as opposed to getting really caught up in kind of what's going on online. Definitely and I know you don't use social media so you you don't really like feel those pressures. I mean you use it a little but not really.
1: Yeah, not not very much I don't but I but I go on there to see some of my athletes and and sometimes I see that kind of they're feeling I know that they're feeling that pressure. Too, so I try to like
0: what do you feel about social media because you don't really use it but I know you go on it so like do you feel the noise like what sort of vibes do you get on social media and why do you choose to like stay on it
1: uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's I mean I don't think it's really great for anyone like some people use it in really positive ways and, and I'm encouraged when I see that but there seems to be a lot of negative negative energy and people that you know you can kind of say something and hide anonymously in that um, right I think it's great when people share their workout and you know I did this and I feel really great about it but I think sometimes it can turn negative where you you know just because you had a bad day that doesn't really define you but if you put it out there for you know and and kind of display that vibe you know then, it, then it's kind of out there I mean and and I think that's not a good thing always like think if you have a bad day just need to kind of assess what what happened what you can do differently and then brush it off as opposed to kind of put it out and and really fixate on it and if you have a good day I think it's great to let people know that and and celebrate with them so I think that can be a good thing but
0: right I also think it's difficult with the whole like instant gratification um on social media because For running is more of like a long, long term sport. And it's like really delayed gratification. It's kind of like going to college, (laughs) you know, like your freshman, sophomore, junior year, you're like, what am I even doing here? Like, is this going to even pay off? Um, And it's something that you don't really see a payoff until, you know, in your later 20s. Um, Sometimes (laughs) even later, but yeah. And then same with running. It's like, you, you do all the easy runs, you're doing the workouts, and you're not always going to see like this huge payoff. Um, but I think sometimes people, they get caught in the trap of like posting their runs on Strava, on Instagram, on everywhere, because they want to get, you know, a little instant gratification <laughs> right away after their run. Um which is interesting just to kind of be aware of that going on and just understanding, like, running is more of a long-term thing and, like, the culture that we're living in right now, um, it's it's very instant gratification. And I think sometimes, like, we've lost the art of, like, waiting or being patient.
1: Yeah, I, I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just being aware of those things. Social media is fun. I post, like, every day on social media. But um, there definitely is, like, a there's a dark side to it. So just being aware of, like, if if your thoughts are going a certain way when you're on there um, or you're just you're feeling a little bit down on yourself, like maybe do a little like social media cleanup, um, just being a little bit smarter about kind of like what you're consuming on there and like how much time you're spending on there. Um, and if there are other things that you could be doing um, as a productive way of um, training or just mental um, mental training for yourself. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add to that?
1: probably not on social media, not, not, my,
0: <laughs> not your thing. Yeah. I think it's so interesting um, how some people post a lot of their workouts and some people don't. Um, I don't know if it's like a personality thing or I, I don't know. I, I kind of like to keep some of my training private just because I have done the complete opposite before where like everything's public and I felt like I was getting a lot of feedback, which a lot of it was great, awesome. but sometimes like just getting so much feedback and like so much noise from outsiders, it can sometimes drown out like your own your own voice and like your own feedback. and just making it more about like yourself and like inward focus um, can really help a lot with achieving goals and just being in tune with yourself.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I probably don't post a lot because, you know, I, I think my training is boring. I mean, most of, you know, like, <laughs> of my runs are easy. There's nothing, you know, my pace is not incredibly, you know, exciting. I'm not blowing away. <laughs> runs. I just go out and run a lot of times
0: like you're not trying to impress anyone. So I, I totally get over your company with that. I think a lot of people would be impressed by your training log, but like in your mind, like it's not impressed. It's just, you're doing the work, you know, and that's how it should be. Um, so yeah, that that's great. So I think this conversation was really good to get people kind of an idea of qualifying for Boston and some of the, the ways that the process works to get there and maybe some things that are challenging roadblocks along the way. Um, if anyone has any questions about qualifying for Boston or just wants to talk about their training specifically, we love chatting about training um, and taking a deep dive, looking at your own training log and training history. Maybe you want to know, are you someone who thrives off high mileage or low mileage? Like we can definitely do a consultation with you and figure out What are those steps to getting you to achieve your goals? So if you want to have a consultation, you can go to www.runforprs.co, fill out the form on our website, and we will start chatting right away. Um, You can get connected with Coach Ben, myself, or any of the other coaches that run for PRs. So thank you, and let us know if you have any questions. Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner.